Welcome to another episode of Surgeon's Lives. I'm your host, John Monson. My guest today is Tim Pollack, who is the Urban Meyer and Shelley Meyer Chair for Cancer Research and the Surgeon-in-Chief at Ohio State University Wexner Medical Center. Tim is a surgical oncologist by background who went to medical school in Boston at Tufts, did his residency at the University of Michigan, and a surgical oncology fellowship at MD Anderson in Texas before commencing his uh, faculty career in Johns Hopkins in Baltimore, where he spent five years. He rose to division chief um, in Hopkins before assuming his uh, chair's role in Ohio State some seven years ago. He's been on a program of uh, building, building and more building in Ohio State. And he's one of the younger generation of uh, academic surgeons um, and has quite a lot of interesting things to say about um, the modern way of uh, approaching the job of a, of a chairman, as well as his passion for um, sport and interestingly enough, uh, Koi Karp. So uh, sit back and listen and enjoy and, and watch. And uh, don't forget to like and subscribe to the channel and, and send your comments. I'm John Monson, and this is Surgeons Lives. Hey, John. Sorry I'm a little bit late. No problem, uh, Tim. Thank you very much for uh, thanks for joining. Uh, uh, we have a little bit of background noise. I hope it, it isn't too, uh, you can't hear too much of it. Um, um, so um, thanks so much for joining um, uh, uh, another edition of uh, Surgeons Lives, as, uh, as I've rather grandly called it, um, which is really just a series of interviews <clears throat> with um, surgeons from all walks of lives um, uh, and specialties and locations around the world, talking about a little bit about their career, but also some of the other stuff that makes them tick. Um, and I, I really appreciate the time out of your busy day um what i um have asked people to do and i'll ask you to do um because it's a an easy segue to start off is to just give us a little summary of um your early life and career starting with the words uh, i was born in yeah sure well thanks john for uh you know reaching out to me and talking with me today i um, appreciate the opportunity to chat with you so yeah, I mean, I, I I was born in uh, Massachusetts. I was born, uh, you know, in uh, Lawrence Methuen area. Um, both my parents are pretty uh, blue collar. My dad is a used car salesman, uh, mechanic, and uh, my mom's my mom. My mom came from, um, you know, um, a, a large family, didn't have a lot of resources, and uh, she wanted to go to college but wasn't able to because of her financial situation. My dad, on the other hand, went to college for a week, but uh, hated it and then just dropped out and wanted to be a mechanic and a used car salesman um, and then joined his father. So it's a family business. Um, my brother now is um, in the business with my dad. It's been there for maybe like 60 years. Wow. Uh -huh. So, yeah. So um, I grew up. I see all the cars behind you, John. Uh, you look like you're an aficionado. Well, uh, um, my dad was a, a used car salesman and mechanic. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> well, unlike yourself, who apparently uh, you know took to it, I know nothing about cars because I had a father and a brother who knew a lot about cars. So, 
Um, you know, I basically uh, relied on their expertise, but, um, you know, they, they basically, you know, it's a kind of a classic story where, you know, since neither of my parents went to college, they, they wanted us to go to college. Yeah. And I'm one of four. Um, um, I have uh, two sisters and one brother and, um, you know, um, you know, grew up and, you know, benefited from, um, you know, my dad and my mom's hard work um, and uh, was lucky and fortunate enough to go to a great high school and, and, and a great college. Um, so, so where did yeah. the um, where did the doctoring come from? Um, well, you know, I, I say, you know, I, you know, we, I grew up, I'm Irish and I'm Catholic. So my mother wanted me to be a priest. Number yeah. one, if I wasn't a priest. I'd be a dentist. And mm -hmm. the third choice was a doctor. So I kind of made her happy, you know, but it was, you know, this idea, you know, of, you know, kind of, you know, 30, 40 years ago, yeah. right. That, you know, they wanted me to be, um, in a profession, um, and, uh, you know, they they kind of cultivated that, um, you know, my kind of love. And then, um, you know, I, I kind of came to it a little bit later. Um, you know, uh, you know, in, in college, I was a theology major um, and a biology major. I actually thought pretty hard about becoming a priest when I was in high yeah. school. I was, um, you know, fairly uh, religious and um, but decided that calling wasn't right for me. Um, and then in college, um, you know, with my double major biology, theology, um, I worked at a number of, uh, I went to school at Georgetown in DC. I worked at a number of, uh, clinics in, in downtown DC, you know, um, free clinics, um, being a phlebotomist, I worked in uh, kind of inner center DC drawing blood, um, at a Washington DC free clinic, um, really got to see firsthand, you know, how social determinants of health can impact patients' lives and yeah. said that this is something that I wanted to, um, you know, uh, lean into and where I wanted to have impact. And um, that's why um, I kind of got interested um, in medicine. You know, the um, the true Irish family, um, you know, the other two career options were, you know, uh, being a nun and, yeah. um, and a policeman, you know. That's right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, yeah. a lot of families, uh, you know, when I was growing up in the west, in the in the west of Ireland, would have all of the above in the family, you know. Uh -huh. <laughs> and there would yeah. be one one left behind on the farm, you know. Yeah, that's, that's right. <laughs> yeah, so you know how it is. So, um, so um, I grew up in in Massachusetts and uh, Georgetown, and then medical school. Yeah. So then, um, you know, when I was. Um, you know, um, towards the end of my Georgetown career, I applied for medical school. Um, I have a younger brother, nine years younger than myself. So we we kind of never grew up together because we just kind of missed each other, if, yeah. I, if you will, mm -hmm. right? So I wanted to get back to Boston um, because he was in college by this point. And so I went back to Boston. I went to Tufts uh, Medical School, downtown mm -hmm. uh, Boston, Chinatown. And um, at this point, I was very interested in going into primary care and um, kind of working in, um, you know, kind of needy environments. So I did an MPH at that time, an MD, MPH. This is back when MPHs were, weren't as in vogue. Yeah. Um, I think uh, Tufts had one of the first combined MD, MPH programs. And I was really learning about like the food pyramid, anti-diarrheal therapy, 
um, you know, real basic, um, yeah. you know, uh, primary care, uh, public health um, stuff. And as part of that, I actually spent a summer in the Dominican Republic um, in the mountainside and, and kind of Western Dominican Republic on the border of Haiti. Um, and me and one of my, uh, my uh, medical school uh, classmates, we literally got dropped off in, by a pickup truck um and uh no running water no electricity cinder block um you know small medical facility we were the only two people staffing it and we lived there for two months um and then uh, two months later they came back and uh, picked us up <laughs> and uh during that time we you know did a lot of public health stuff in the village you know talked about you know uh nutrition basic health uh, things like that, but it was an incredibly uh, enriching uh, experience. But then I came back and I did my surgery rotation and I fell in love with surgery. So I had a complete kind of pivot um, away from primary care and public health and uh, just fell in love with surgery. Um, and then the kind of the rest is history, so to speak. So when you think back um, over that time frame and also subsequently, of course, um, can you think back to when you first you know, with the benefit of hindsight, maybe when you first identify or recognize uh, um, any influence of mentors in what you were doing? Yeah, definitely. Well, I think, um, you know, when I was at Tufts, you know, Bill Mackey, who, you know, was a, um, a vascular surgeon at Tufts, um, went on to become chair and actually, um, you know, sadly, uh, you know, Dr. Mackey recently passed away. But I think, you know, um, I rotated on vascular surgery and I remember him being an early inspiration to me um, as far as being a technically excellent surgeon, uh, yet also someone who had incredible bedside manner um, and also just the way he comported himself, handled himself, the way mm -hmm. he interacted with colleagues, residents, medical students, patients. It was just, you know, someone like, you know, I, I want to be like that uh, person. Um, so I think, um, you know, he was an early inspiration. And I think I had a great clinical exposure as a medical student at Tufts. Again, this was a little bit back in the day where there weren't as many ancillary staff or allied health professionals. So, I mean, we were yeah. doing a lot, right? We were sure. you know, putting in IVs, putting in A-lines as medical students, yeah. Yeah. You, know, um, you know, helping out in the OR. So you got early exposure to a lot of hands-on experience. And I think that um, was uh, really motivating and it was very um, inspirational to be able to, you know, help people kind of using our hands. And, you know, I, I like this concept of like the laying on of hands. And I think there's something very special, mm -hmm. mystical, powerful of how we as surgeons heal people through touch. Um, and that really spoke to me. And um, that's what early, uh, very early on motivated my interest in surgery. I think, I, you know, a, a fun fact, I think the, uh, I'm, I'm correct in saying that the last disease um, that was um, said to be uh, cured by the laying on of hands in the UK was um, scrofula. Um, and it was the laying on, laying on of the king's hands um i think obviously the uh, treatment of tubercular neck glands has moved on a little from there um but you know i take the point um i i take the point about the the touch and patient contact um i talked to um 
an academic colleague of yours for one of these recently who was a who shall remain nameless um unless you watch the uh, uh, the podcast obviously um but he was a medical student in a well-known uh, academic medical center in baltimore um that you may have heard of and he said that when he was there he what he realized was that he loved surgery but at least from that initial experience he didn't like the people doing it um, and he was determined that wherever he went, um, that was not going to be the culture that he wanted to pursue, etc. Um, and you know, now you're a you know a chairman, and having you know seen multiple versions of culture, and you have to lead culture. Um, culture comes from the top, you know, and all of that. Um, you know, what's been your experience over? over your career um, in terms of the way culture is in surgery and has changed? Yeah, um, you know, I, I think it has changed over time. You know, I think, um, you know, I, I think it's a, it's a complicated and nuanced uh, story. I, I tend to be the, uh, um, an optimist and feel that, um, you know, over time, you know, I think people generally, the way they comport themselves in, in surgery has changed. Mm. Um, although in the past, I would say, you know, there were, there were a lot of great people in the past, you know, they're, they're like everything, you know, they're, they're, maybe there were some bad actors and people mm. who didn't bring them best, their best selves uh, every day to work. Um, but that being said, you know, I, I really, I just got done talking to the medical students today or M2s about surgery. And, um, you know, I really believe in this idea that, you know, you can be excellent, you can do great, innovative things, deliver great care, be at the top of your game, be number one, and still have a good time doing it, mm -hmm. you know, do it with a smile on your face, and have fun, right? And I think that um, that's the type of culture that um, we try to cultivate here at Ohio State, you know, I always say, like, make no doubt about it. I want to be number one, right? You know, I want to deliver the best care in the world and have the best outcomes in the world and have, you know, people who are on the cutting edge with regards to clinical trials, basic science research, health services research, best faculty, best residents. At the same time, I want to have fun. You know, I want to be around people who want to have fun. And I think sometimes in the past, it was kind of um, framed as an either or. Um, yeah. and that, you know, you, you know, you had to be miserable if, and if you weren't miserable, you weren't working hard enough or something. And I think that we've uh, just realized now that, you know, we have to take care of ourselves. We have to take care of one another. Um, and I think also there's a greater understanding of the different paths that people can take. Yeah. And I really believe that in the past, we had like a couple paths, you know, there was maybe like the basic science path, right. Yep. And like everyone was driven into like a very narrow conception of who they are, who they could be and what surgery looked like. And when you do that, um, you, you frequently find people who aren't doing what they're passionate about because they've been driven down a path that maybe isn't right for them. And then you can get burnout, you can get dissatisfaction, yeah. and you can mm -hmm. undermine culture. And I think when you create an environment that is more open um, and conducive to people following their passions and doing what they love, and I tell people I have no preconceived notion of what impact looks like for you. 
I, I want people who want to have impact where that is, what that manifests itself. That's for us to discuss and for you to decide. And I think just as Daniel Pink alludes to, I think if you have mastery, if you have some element of self-determination, self-control, and you have purpose, then you're going to find a healthier work environment, a healthier culture, and people who are giving discretionary effort um, and doing it with um, a smile on their face. Yeah, and I, th I, th I, I mean, I agree with you. It's changed. Uh, I mean, you know, when I was in the early stages of my academic career, as as was pointed out to me by somebody, if your project did not include the words and its gene sequence at the end of it, it was not going to get funded because that was, you know, the DNA navigation was um, the flavor of the day. Um, and, you know, I was a molecular biologist in early career as an academic, and then I changed to health services research. Um, and, you know, if you, in, in my early days, most of the, you know, the powerhouse chairs ran big basic science labs. And, you know, now, you know, um, people like you who have, a um, and and Justin Demick and others who have um, strong um, health services and healthcare delivery programs are, are much more widely based, um, number one. And number two, in addition to people being miserable, I think, uh, you know, 20, 30 years ago, I think there was also, um, you know, there was a feeling that if you were excellent, it was okay to be nasty. Um, and... The flip side, of course, was that um, people's nastiness was excused on the basis of saying, oh, of course, he's a wonderful surgeon, um, which, you know, is absolutely, you know, not a necessary connection. You know, you don't have to be an asshole to, just to be a good surgeon. But there was a lot of that. It was, it, you know, the sharp elbows were, you know, almost considered, a, you know, a badge of honor. Yeah, I mean, I think nowadays, you know, um, I think people um, are really looking for individuals who are team oriented. Yeah. Um, and I always have this notion that, you know, it, it's not about compromising, right? It, it's about, again, both and, right? You you can both be a um, an upper echelon a leader and, 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 and a nice person and um, be excellent and yeah. advocate for your patient and have great surgical outcomes, right? And I think, you know, this idea of, um, you know, I'm, I'm doing it because I'm advocating for my patient or I'm doing it because yeah. it's the right thing to do, you know, um, I, I think is a false dichotomy. Mm -hmm. And also, I think that we need to challenge people that, um, you know, it, it, the, the, the real kind of, you um, uh, challenge is uh, again doing both right because any anyone can do one or the mm -hmm. other right either you know kind of be um overly polyannish and then not really accomplish anything yeah. and or be kind of a jerk and just drive everything yeah. in be so results oriented that you just leave a lot of um interrelationship carnage um along the way and really, you know, what we're looking for in, in this era is, is people who can do both. Yeah. Build relationships, yeah. maintain relationships, and again, not compromise, but be an agile leader and think about how out of maybe these this, this disagreement can we find a way to create added value, 
added value, not compromise, which suggests less. But if, if anything, yeah. different difference of opinion can sometimes be synergistic and highlight the shortcomings mm -hmm. in, in both perspectives yeah. such that there's added value in a new uh, joint perspective as we move forward. So I think those are the type of things that I think about, try to spend a lot of time working on um, as a leader, and then also the things that um, we try to cultivate uh, here um, amongst our faculty, staff, and uh, trainees. So uh, um, can you remember when you first thought that you'd like to be a chairman, um, you know, in the early ambition, you know, just an inkling in your mind, a seed, um, and um, then can you remember when you decided, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I mean, this is what I'm going to do. I mean, they're, they're often distance apart, but, uh, you know, when was, when did your academic ambition, can you remember when it started? Yeah, I would say a couple things. And I, again, I was telling the M2s about this. I, I try to live in the moment, um, to try to do the job that I am in. The, to the best of my ability. And I have a firm belief that if I do that, that um, I will hopefully achieve success. Um, I will help the people who I'm supposed to be helping as a leader in my current role. And then to some degree, if I do a good job, that will get recognized and sure. other opportunities will open up in the future. So I can honestly say that I, I never sat around thinking about like, I want to be chair. Um, and I think, you know, even I, I, the way I frame it is like, I wanted at some point I realized I wanted to do the things that only a chair could do. Right. So I, I didn't necessarily want to be a chair mm. in the sense of like, yeah. you know, whatever chair came open, I was just going to take it because I wanted to be a chair. Right. Or I wanted to be X, Y, or Z. Cause I jokingly say that and $3 and 50 cents will get me a cup of coffee at Starbucks. Right. So it's more about like, how can I have impact? And I think that, you know, it's kind of been iterative for me in different stages of my life. And, um, you know, kind of getting started, wanting to have impact in the clinical space, wanting to have impact in the research space, and then moving on and wanting to have some impact, you know, kind of at the early administrative level, at the division level, when I was division chief at Hopkins, and then realizing you know, as I got exposed to departmental um, kind of um, aspects of executive leadership in my division role, I began to realize that, you know, I, I needed another mountain, right? I wanted another challenge. I wanted to stretch myself. And then I began to realize that there were some things that I wanted to do that only a chair could do. Um, and then um, that's when I started um, looking um, for uh, chair opportunity. Sure. So it, hopefully that makes sense to you. I, I, no, it does. I'm an ambitious person. You know, I'm not going to lie. We're all ambitious sure. people, yeah. but it's not so much that, um, you know, it's kind of like there's people who are trying to, you know, climb the ladder, supposed to, so to speak. Um, I tend to think of myself not as one of those people, but I just try to like, you know, e excel where I'm at. And then, um, you know, so there's Step by step. There's no whiteboard in the office with, um, you know, this year's project or this year, you know, this is, etc. cetera. Um, some people are like that. You know, I talked to um, a colleague of mine in England who 
surgeon who became a member of the House of Lords so he could become a junior health minister. And he's been a longtime friend of mine. And he, um, you know, pointed out to me that he realized there were things that he wanted to do to make a difference. And in order to do that, he had to accept that role. Um, it wasn't that he set out to become a member of the House of Lords. It's just exactly. that he realized that he that's if he was going to play in that political space to make major healthcare differences, that's what he had to do. Um, I think so, that's a great analogy, mm -hmm. and I, I think you know you know as far as wanting to like you know build programs, um, you know recruit faculty, mentor faculty, help build faculty's careers. Um, you know, have uh, impact in uh, healthcare delivery on a larger scale. Um, you know, there's certain roles that just afford you more of an opportunity. Mm, yeah. um, and, you know, people, are, are, you know, frequently ask me like, oh man, you got a lot of degrees. Why you got all those degrees? <laughs> One thing about me is like, I think I have a lot of intellectual curiosity and I also can sometimes get bored. Mm. So I think some of it literally is like, I do something for a while um, I feel like, you know, I've made my contribution and then I'm kind of like, you know, what else? Like, what's the next mountain? You know, I, I like, you know, um, getting in there. I'm not, I, I'm not like a maintainer. I'm more mm -hmm. of a, like a builder. Um, that's where I, I love to be. And I think that's also some of the reason why I've looked for other opportunities, um, when I feel like I've contributed you know, it, maybe not as much as I could, but like it's getting asymptotic, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. um, and and then I also think, you know, just opening up opportunities for other people, because mm -hmm. if you occupy a certain role forever, um, then, um, you know, you don't give anyone else a chance. No. Well, that's a conversation I've had with many people on this podcast is um, and um, it's a little... <laughs> early to be asking you but um about you know retirement thoughts obviously but um but i i you know the the same conversation you know I, what i i often say to people you know i was a chairman in england for 15 years um i think i did a good job for probably 12 of them um and that doesn't mean to say that the last three were the ones where i didn't do the best job but but whether I did or I didn't, um, I, I do have a, a, a quite a strong belief in let somebody else have a go, uh, yeah. you know, in that space. I mean, you, A, I think you shouldn't, you know, hog it so much, number one. And B, you know, you need to let other people bring some fresh views, opinions and thoughts. And, you know, I'm not I'm not convinced that people can be at the top of their game for 25 and 30 years. Yeah, or even, you know, I can be at the top of my game, but it, it's my game, right? Yeah, you know what yeah. I mean? And, mm. and so, you know, just different perspectives, you know, different thoughts, you know, because, you know, even if I'm performing at the top of my game, like, you know, I ha I'm a big sports fan. Maybe, you know, I got my moves, right? Maybe my move is a sky hook or my move is a three-point shot, but like I got my moves. And like every so often, right, you need to like, you know, rebuild, you need to rebuild yeah. the team, right? Yeah. To sustain um, excellence and get a different perspective, a different look. I also think that's important why as a leader, you know, is like not to micromanage, right? You know, mm. to try to, um, as a leader, surround yourself by great people, give them resources, be supportive of them, um, um, meet with them and help them, 
yet let them do their job. You know, I have a a sign here in my office. I'm staring right at it of Bill Belichick because I'm a big uh, Patriots fan. And it says, do your job. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's just this mantra of like, if everyone on the team is doing their job, that's how you win championships. And so, um, you know, hopefully, you know, we'd have to ask the people who work with me, you know, whether (laughs) I I do that or not, but I, I try to give people the latitude and the the breath in their lane so they, they can drive, right? Because yeah. no one likes to be micromanaged. And I think that also helps create different perspectives because if you create an environment where people can do their thing and then you hire people who have different life experiences, different perspectives and are, are diverse with regards to race, ethnicity, gender, gender socioeconomic status, then it can become a very rich environment, um, which will uh, make the organization stronger. And, you know, you're, um, I mean, this is just, you know, an observation from the outside and it, it's not, um, I'm not picking on you um, because it's, uh, as you say, it's a rebuilding process. You know, the new head coach comes in, they, um, you know, they will either follow a pathway of rebuilding totally, or they will, you know, rebuild in pieces. But, you know, you've been in uh, in Columbus for, what, seven years now? Um, seven years. And, you know, from the outside, you've rebuilt, you've cleaned house a bit, you know, whatever, whatever term you want to use. Um, and um, uh, that's a that's that's a big piece of work to do. Yeah, I mean, I think I've been lucky and, and, and blessed to be here at Ohio State. Um, you know, this is a great institution. Um, and I was um, really fortunate to come in um, after, you know, Dr. Ellison and mm. at Dr. Higgins, Bob Higgins, who ironically, you know, went to Hopkins. Yeah. Bob yeah. and I were like ships passing in the night. And uh, actually, Bob had a big part about me coming here because he had nothing to say but amazing things about Ohio State. And, and I would kind of characterize it, maybe not like, cleaning house you know we have many people who are still here when i when i first showed up Mm -hmm. seven years ago but a little bit of a transformative uh journey Mm -hmm. uh, and um you know maybe a reinvigoration of um you know who we are as a department um you know we've recruited a a ton over the last seven years i I think by last Mm -hmm. count you know like 60 people 65 people um and um a renewed focus on um, you know, uh, clinical programs of distinction, glowing our cr- clinical volume, and then, um, you know, really a solid focus and emphasis on uh, patient safety, quality. Um, and then also, um, along with that, really focusing on uh, research, uh, yeah. innovation, yeah. discovery. You know, I, I never miss an opportunity to, you know, to note that we're top 10 in NIH funding amongst all departments of surgery in the country. Um and then we have um, very large education programs. Um, you know, we have a very robust general surgery residency program, but then we mm-hmm. also have an I-6 program in vascular, an I-6 program in cardiac, and then um, a multitude of different fellowships and all the different disciplines from surgeon to transplant to vascular to trauma to colorectal, um, you know, so... Again, I've been incredibly blessed to be a Buckeye, and um, it's been a fantastic journey over the last seven years. So um, I, I'm always interested in, um, you know, the concept of institutional loyalty and and indeed loyalty per se, um, you know, 
and you know loyalty depends on who you're loyal to you know whether it's your loyalty to your country and then loyalty to your state and loyalty to your town i mean it gets down to different levels right now you're standing in front of me uh, you know fully branded um you know uh with uh, the ohio state and wrapped well you know in the lapel and the and over on the wall and you know fully on message fully on branded and um and credit to you you know wrapped in the uh, flag of of buckeye nation um but you know eight years ago you were wrapped in the flag of uh, of hopkins um and everything that that stood for us uh that stood for i should say um uh with you know a storied history and one thing or another um did you find that an easy transition yeah, I mean, I, I think I'm incredibly um, grateful for all the different institutions that I've had the real privilege to be at. And I never take for granted that these different institutions and different people, you know, whether it was, you know, Mike Mulholland at uh, Michigan or Rafe Pollack at um, MD Anderson or Julie Freischlag at Hopkins, they took a chance on me, right? They took a chance on me. And I never forget that. And mm -hmm. I always am in their gratitude. So I, I'm, I'm um, very indebted to all those institutions and they hold a special place in my heart. That being said, um, I love being a Buckeye. It is, it's, it's hard to describe, but it is contagious. It is infectious. Um, this is a wonderful place to be at. I love how it's a land grant state um, institution um, and has a, a, a very um, palpable, um, mission-based orientation. Um, and um, I love the the spirit of Buckeye Nation. And, um, you know, it, it was very easy tra transition here. And now, you know, even though I trained at that school up north, I was there for five years and I've been here for seven years. So um, my time here at Ohio State has actually uh, elapsed the amount of time that I spent in in, in Arbor um, again, the, that being said, um, I, I highly value um, all my experience at Michigan, and we have a, a great relationship, uh, Ohio State and Michigan um, departments of surgery. Um, better A better relationship in, than on the football pitch. Um. Yes, yes, that's true. They got, they've got the better of us in the last couple of years, but i um, excited to see what this year holds. So as as you as you, uh, I th I'm, I'm correct me if I'm wrong. I think you're standing talking to me. Are you? I am. Yeah, you're you're. A, are you a standing desk guy? I am now. I just got this new standing desk a couple months ago, and what I've been told is that sitting is the new smoking. So, uh, <laughs> so uh, you know, I I take the stairs and I stand at my desk and uh, I take a baby aspirin and and that's uh, and I call I call it a day. And you're uh, <laughs> planning on immortality. Um, That's so, right. That's right. <laughs> um, so, but right now, um, if you, you know, to go back to the sporting analogy, if you had to sign a contract for a day, you know, uh, retire you right now, you're, you're kind of retiring as a Buckeye because it's, um, it superseded all the other years, et cetera. And um, so that's a good thing. You know, that's where you're, that's where you are. Are you, are you, um, are you optimistic for the future of academic surgery? I am. I'm very optimistic. I'm an optimism optimist by nature. Mm -hmm. um, and um, you know, uh, 
you know, I, I have this quote that hangs in my office right here by uh, Ernest Shackleton, who, um, you know, was on endurance and, you know, <laughs> got stuck in uh, the yes. art, uh, Antarctic waters. And um, that's a great book. But one of the favorite quotes in that book is that optimism is true moral courage. Mm. And I think it's incumbent upon us as leaders mm. to be realistic um, and to be honest with ourselves about the situation, yet to be optimistic. And I think, you know, he he epitomized that. You know, he, he truly was um, a realist about the situation uh, that he was in with mm. his other 29 men and Antarctica and, you know, being stuck there. Um, yet, um, he was optimistic that they were going to make it through it. And I think that optimism played a huge role in the incredible story about how every single person on that ship survived yeah. um, that event. Yeah. So I am optimistic. I think that, uh, when I meet with our, our medical students, like I did this morning, when I meet with our residents, when I meet with I, my, my junior faculty, how could you not be optimistic? Um, these people are incredibly smart, um, motivated, passionate, um, outstanding um, in so many different aspects and, and, and really just wonderful, nice people. And again, I think I, I love how uh, we're more broadly conceiving what it means to be a surgeon. And so I think that we will continue to reinvent, um, you know, what academic surgery looks like, um, just like we did you know, when we, everyone was a basic science test yeah. and then, you know, mm. 20 years ago or 10 years ago, we reinvented it to like now suddenly some people could be health services researchers, right? Yeah. yeah. Yet there's still going to be iterative reinventions and re-imaginations sure. yeah. of what academic medicine uh, looks like. Um, yeah. And so I think that's exciting. And I think all the technology um, and um, that we have at our disposal now to accelerate learning, to accelerate discovery and innovation um, is really um, an exciting time for uh, yeah. academic surgery. Uh, you know, and I think in the last couple of decades or the last three or four decades have seen an incredible explosion of clinical changes. Um, you know, I, I started my training when we were operating on, you know, peptic ulcer five days a week. And that's not only has the operation disappeared, but the disease has disappeared. And, you know, I, I, I'm not convinced that um, I have a strong suspicion that a newly minted colorectal surgeon will not be operating on colorectal cancer by the end of their career. Um, you know, I think it's, it's dramatically changed in the last 15 years and uh, you know molecular medicine is real um i don't think it's quite hit your or the organs that you play with um but it's i i've no doubt it will um and but you know i think surgeons and doctors in general are pretty good at reinventing themselves um you know, if it isn't, if it isn't uh, Judean ulcers today, it's, you know, bariatrics. And if it isn't bariatrics today, tomorrow, it's something else. So uh, I, I agree with you. I think it, uh, it uh, changes um, and, you know, people have to change with it. So now when the lights go out and you go home, um, you know, part of, of course, being a chairman is that your chairman's work spills over into, you know, your, your home life because you, you know, you play a leadership role, you know, at, at social events and things like that, et cetera. But, um, you know, uh, 
what does uh, you know as you say i have a foolish habit with um, breaking cars and things like that but um what does tim Pollock do um when he's not thinking great things yeah well i'm 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 very blessed i have a great family you know my wife megan i have four children katie molly emma and uh, michael um so a lot of my time is uh, family time mm-hmm. um and spending time with my daughters my son um, you know, uh, you know, my son in particular is at an age where he's travel baseball. So I, you know, mm-hmm. spent Memorial Day weekend in Kentucky, you know, uh, three nights, four days at baseball tournaments and, um, oh, which I love. Um, I like to travel, you know, I'm, I'm lucky. I, I do have an opportunity to travel internationally, uh, uh, colleagues and friends. And I think to me, that's the best part of academic medicine is the people. Yeah. And not only, you know, I love all the people in the United States, but I love, having had the opportunity to travel and uh, build the network uh, around the world. And um, my children over an age where I I can take them, you know, so um, I, you know, taking my daughter to Portugal for me, with me, I just got back from Rio with my other daughter. And so um, I love doing that, spending time with them, uh, traveling abroad. Um, It's a, it's a great time too, because, you know, when you have four children, you know, and you're at home, you're with all four, but when you travel, you get to be with one and mm. kind of have a different kind of interaction with them, relationship with them. Um, and so I really enjoy that. And then um, I'm, I'm a big sports fan, you know, that, you know, one of the things I love to do is I, I'm a big consumer of sports. Um, and I also, you know, travel to see games. Mm-hmm. So you know, we'll go to different states and cities to go see, you know, football games, basketball games, uh, uh, things like that. You know, I've been to three Super Bowls and two NBA finals and the World Series. And unfortunately, I have not been to a Stanley Cup because my Bruins let me down this year. But um, that's also very fun bonding experiences and creates kind of moments yeah. uh, with a family that I love to do. Yeah, I was talking to, uh, I interviewed Jim Fleshman not that long ago. He, he kind of has a, a, a semi-secret bucket list of... Um, attending every major league uh, baseball stadium. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, and he's, he's, I think he's, I can't remember the number, but I think he's he's more than three quarters of the way through. Um, oh, that, um, that's great. Yeah, I don't know if I've done that. I want to get to every continent. So I need, I, you know, I've been to six continents. I need to get to Antarctica. because That's I the one you're have, missing? Uh, that's the one I'm missing. Uh, hey, I know I've been to every, yeah. all 50 states. But I want to get to every continent. And part of that also is, um, you know, kind of my um, love of, uh, of uh, Shackleton as a leader. Um, <laughs> yeah. I'd love to, seriously, I'd love to go down there and, and just, you know, kind of hear about the history of that, like mm. in the moment, in that space. Hopefully not That's repeat his Hopefully not repeat his experience. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So... Um, again, it's a little early to ask you this, but, you know, sometimes people, um, change, you know, how do you think you would like to be remembered and how do you think you will be remembered? Yeah, I don't know how I will be remembered. I think, um, hopefully I'll be remembered as, um, you know, just a good person. That's ultimately, that's what I hope that, you know, I did right by people and, you know, maybe you didn't always agree with me. You didn't see it my way, but um, you know, that my heart was always in the right place, you know, that, you know, that I'm trying to do right by people, um, that I, I genuinely want to help other people 
you know, fully self-actualize their hopes, aspirations, and desires. And just like I um, try to be the best person that I can be, I want to try to help them be the best person that they can be. Um, do I horribly fail? Yes, I do. I'm not a great person a lot of times, and I need to work on myself, but that's my aspirational goal. And um, that's what I hope that I'm remembered by that, you know, um, this whole idea of, um, you know, preach often, use words seldomly. Mm -hmm. Um, so hopefully the life that I live, um, is, you know, that people say, you know, you know, he's, he's a good person, you know, he's yeah. trying and, um, you know, I, I know that he means well and, you know, uh, that, that, that's what means the most to me because the other stuff falls away, the yeah. other stuff yeah. falls away, yeah. um, but people remember how you treated them, how you interacted with them, um, the relationships. I always say in life. It's usually about relationships and money. You, you you peel a lot of things away. It's about relationships and money. And I truly believe that at the end of the day, it's about relationships. Yeah, you know, it's about how sure. you treat people, yeah. um, interact with them, and and just being genuine also. And that's why I love to know people's stories, where they're from. You know, you know what I mean. What makes them tick, um, and unpack and, and unpack that stuff. That's that's what hopefully so, um, two. Quick questions to finish. Well, actually, uh, two things to finish with, but uh, one of them is a, a single question, which is, um, do you have something you can tell us that nobody knows about Tim Pauling? That's a hard one because I don't have any secrets. I think most people who know me that I am, I'm a very straight shooter. Um, and uh, I don't really have anything that people don't know about me. I mean, I'm, I'm, I love koi fish. Maybe a lot of people don't know that, but I... I've had, uh, I'm a, I love fish. I, uh, I had a koi pond when I lived in Maryland and I have a koi pond here in, uh, in uh, Columbus. And uh, that's one of my passions. I, I love to stare at fish. <laughs> 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 so, you know, frequently I'll be outside staring at fish and my wife, Megan, will be like, get in the house. What's up looking at the fish? <laughs> what are you doing? You know, a lot of people don't get it, but uh, I, I love fish. You know? Yeah, he did. I, uh... He didn't. Um, he didn't answer this. He didn't give me this answer to the question because I hadn't asked him. But I told Justin Dimmick um, when he was describing his early life that he just answered that question, which is that he used to knit while at lectures as a medical student. And mm -hmm. I said, "You just told me the question. Nobody knows about you." Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, and whereupon we moved swiftly on. You know? <laughs> <laughs> So now here's um, the the final um, just quick fire thing, which is you know the um, the a minute uh, little thing, which you know there's are simple questions for which there's no right answer other than the fact that quite clearly I know the answer, um, um, and you don't have time to think about them. Are you ready? Sure. Baseball or football? Baseball. McDonald's or Burger King? McDonald's. Cats or dogs? Dogs. PC or Mac? Uh, Mac. Beatles or Stones? Beatles. Home or away? Uh, away. Beach or mountain? Mountain. <laughs> Tim, thank you very much for spending uh, uh, some time with us today. Uh, in due course, when stuff happens and I 
edit out all the slanderous statements you've made about your former colleagues, etc., um, or or insert them in with some uh, yeah, with some right. with some AI. You know, <laughs> um, right. it'll come out, and I'll, I'll I'll let you know. Um, okay. Um, when it's coming out, but it's um, the ones that are out at the moment are on um, the Surgeons Lives YouTube channel, and the first one um, was Jeff Matthews. Um, mm who, you know, talking about his, his academic career and, and of course his music career as well. He's yeah. just released, released his latest EP. Yeah. Um, no, you know, that's, he's a hard student. act to follow, isn't he? It is. Um, it is. And, um, all, so, I, all I have is koi fish. I can't yeah. play. Man. I gotta, <laughs> exactly. I'm just, I'm just a simple guy staring at fish. <laughs> <laughs> so I really appreciate, um, uh, I really appreciate you taking the time. It's been great fun. Yeah, you bet, John. This is a great idea. Um, I think it's wonderful that you're doing this, and I've really appreciated the time uh, spent with you here today. Mm -hmm.